Now, as you can see at the front and up in the balcony as well, we have um, a meal prepared. This is a moment, and these are moments where we remember our commander-in-chief who gave his life in the midst of battle. It's a moment where we remember the one who didn't shrink back from the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life for his God and for his friends. And if you know Jesus as your Savior here this morning, you need to thank God that you're one of his friends. Amen? You see, the one that we're remembering when we take communion is none other than Jesus Christ. It's none other than our great commander-in-chief. You know, as we take communion, we remind ourselves that we are still at war, that God is looking for soldiers, that Jesus, our great commander-in-chief, give his life in the battle in order to bring us back to God. And then he launched an army. He launched an army that was known as his church. And and, and it is that I want to talk to you this morning about being a soldier of Jesus Christ. And and to give you a verse to kick off, I want to go to the second book of Timothy chapter 2. The second book of Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. And it says there this, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he might please him who enlisted him as a a soldier. So as we celebrate communion today, as we take this that is known as the Lord's Supper, it's known as the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it, we're going to call to mind the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fact that he never remained dead, but that he rose again from the dead, and he is still our great commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he is the one that we celebrate here today. I'm also reminded when I take communion of the fact that since Jesus Christ, there have been people who have laid down their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. There are people who have given their life as a sacrifice for the cause of Christ, that they have been people who, to take the gospel, to take the good news to the far corners of the earth, They have sacrificed their lives, some of them, and some of them have gone and served God and have never been heard of since. They've gone into the jungles of the world. They've gone into the deserts of the world. They've gone into the cities of the world. They've gone around the world to take the gospel, and only a minority get talked about. The rest, they've done it. They've they've served, and they've died in their place, and they've served in their place. There are others who have gone and served and died as martyrs of the faith. In fact, I want to read to you a scripture that's found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hebrew cha- the, um, the chapter of the Bible where we are introduced to heroes. It's known as the hero chapter of the Bible. And after it is that the writer of Hebrews has listed a whole load of names, this is what he then went on to write from verse 32 
of Hebrews 11. He says, What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us." What is listed there in that chapter are people who were good soldiers of Jesus Christ. They were good soldiers of the cross. Now, if you read that chapter, you will find that it talks about the saints of the Old Testament as well as talking about the saints of the New Testament. They all died as good soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, listen, the fact is that Old Testament people who died in their faith, who stood for their faith, in the Old Testament people that stood for righteousness and for God, they died looking forward to the cross. Jesus had not come, he'd not died on the cross, but they died in faith looking forward to the cross. In the New Testament, we're introduced to those who came after the cross, those who now followed Jesus, served Jesus, was in Jesus' army after the cross, and they now look back at what Jesus has done, and they celebrate Jesus from this side of the cross, so that together, Old and New Testament saints, we are all soldiers of the cross. We stand together as people of the cross of Jesus Christ. I think back on people who have sacrificed so much for the kingdom of God and to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. People who are prisoners of war who have been set free by the cross of Jesus. And this morning I want to honor them. I, I think of those who have sacrificed so much so that we can be here this morning. You know, as I look back and I, as I think of where I am, I, I, I am arrested by a very sobering thought. It is the thought that one day my life is going to be over. That it is that the days are counting down to the day when my time on earth will end and they will close a casket on my dead body unless Jesus comes. And if I'm honest, I'd rather him come than be in the casket. But... Uh, if that doesn't happen, there will be a day when the casket will close on my body and I will just be a memory of those who are left living on this planet who remember me. And um, I'm asking myself a very serious question these days. When it comes for the time for me to leave this world, 
What kind of legacy will I leave behind? I'm asking myself the question these days. uh, When it is that they talk of John King, uh, when he's gone, will they remember him as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Uh, It is that they will uh, talk about him. Will they remember him for the legacy that he left behind? Will they say he was a good soldier of Jesus Christ? How many know the time to think about these things is now? You can't do it once you've gone. You've got to think about it now. And you've got to begin to wonder, what are people going to say about me being a follower of Jesus after my days? After I'm gone... You see, if I'm thinking that that I can leave this and not worry about this and not think about this, then there will be a time where it will be too late. I will have gone and now it will be forever too late. A good soldier. You know, I, I have a mentor back in England. And when I was back there growing up, a young guy, he used to mentor me and I used to go and meet him. And whenever I would meet him, He would always greet me with this statement. And back then, I used to find it unusual. And and he'd meet me and he'd greet me and he'd say, How you doing, soldier? (laughs) You see, he caught on to the fact that we belong to the army of Jesus Christ. He, He caught on to the fact that we are in a battle and the battle is the battle of the ages. That it is that we are not involved in a job. We're not doing something that's a hobby outside of our work. No, we're involved in the battle of the ages. It's the battle between evil and good. It's the battle between God and Satan. We are involved in the battle for the eternal souls of men and women. It is a battle that we are in. Because outside of Jesus Christ, people are lost forever and are going to hell. Hey, let me tell you something. You can have a most perfect marriage and still end up in hell. Let let me tell you something. You you can have all your finances in place and and you can be classed in as rich or or well off and, and you've got all your finances in order and you can have all your finances in order and still end up in hell. Oh yeah, you you can be looked on as having the most perfect family with the best behaved children uh, and you've done such a fantastic job of raising your kids uh, and you've done all that is good in raising a perfect family and you're marked out as someone who has a perfect family and yet you can still end in hell because outside of Jesus Christ you are lost forever and on the way to hell. Now... Now, I I didn't expect a clap for that because that's really sobering stuff. You you see, um, I'm told that there are things that it's politically incorrect for me to say from the pulpit these days. For me to say that hell is a literal place and that people are destined to go there if they do not know Jesus as their Savior, I'm told that that's politically incorrect. And, and if I talk of sin and I call sin, sin, I'm told that that's politically incorrect. I would be better to say that people have made mistakes. No, no, they've not made mistakes. They are sinners in the sight of God. 
And I'm told, I'm told it's politically incorrect to stand for the truths of the Bible. So that now, if I say that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and the only way to God, and the only way to heaven, that is politically incorrect. I'm sorry, but I believe that stuff. And for me to stand and say that abortion is the most wicked murder on the face of the planet and we need to stand against the murder of babies before they're born, it is politically incorrect then I am politically incorrect. And for me to say that marriage is between one woman and one man, and it is not between two women and two men, is politically incorrect. I am politically incorrect. We stand for biblical truth. And listen, I understand. I understand you may be touching people that are involved in all this stuff, and it's very difficult. We get sympathetic, and, 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 and you have to keep on loving and loving and loving and loving, but you don't back down from what you believe. And whether it's politically incorrect or not, we must stand by the truth. Now, listen to me carefully. There are, there are two things that are happening right now in the warfare that is going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, there are two things that are happening. I'm finding that the battle is being fought on two fronts. Uh, It is there is a battle going on where the enemy of our soul, Satan, is seeking to keep people from hearing about Jesus and they need to be born again. And now it's becoming old-fashioned to talk about people being born again, uh, to talk about people being converted, to talk about people being saved, to talk about people seeing the light. Whatever you want to put on it, whatever term you want to give to it, it, it now gets to the point where people don't like to tell people, you need Jesus as your savior or you're going to hell. The fact is that now we want to water it down and the devil is working to water it down. He is working to keep people from knowing Jesus personally. He doesn't mind you being religious as long as you don't know Jesus personally. He doesn't mind you filling a pew in a church as long as you're not now loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. It is that on this front, it is that the devil is seeking to now make it that people are not hearing the gospel. They're not hearing about Jesus and that he is the only way, the only truth and the only life. And the devil is working overtime on that. The other thing that the devil is doing is now he's working in Christians and getting them to believe that we're not at war. Getting them to believe that we're not fighting a gigantic war. They are getting Christians to believe that that it is that no one is lost and no one is going to hell and we don't need to be concerned. We don't need to give our time. We don't need to commit to be a soldier of Jesus. Jesus has disbanded his army now and now all we need to do is get together and sing Kumbaya and have a good time. The devil's winning on that front. See, the fact is, friends, the devil is telling us that there's no war and we believe in the lie. Now, listen, the the war shouldn't go on in this room. 
This room is made up primarily of people who know Jesus as their Savior. If we were fighting, friends, in this place, it would be civil war. We would be fighting ourselves. This place, this place is called a sanctuary. This is the room we come to for sanctuary. You know, the word sanctuary, it means a safe place. The word sanctuary, it means a healing place. The word sanctuary, it means a place of refreshment from battle. And so this is the place we come to, to get healed up, to feel safe, to get to a place of knowing refreshment from the battle. The battle goes on in our everyday lives. It's out there on the battlefield of life. Now, I've been looking at the Apostle Paul, and, and as I read this scripture, I read in it, and Paul is nearing the end of his life, and he's, he's, he's coming down to the last days of his life, and he's in a Roman prison. And, and he looked back on his life as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so it is that from his cell, this great apostle now takes up pen and begins to write to the young pastor Timothy. And, and now he gives him the secrets of being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The first thing that I want you to notice is this, that the soldiers of Jesus Christ are enlisted. They are enlisted. 2 Timothy 2.4, not only a soldier, but a soldier that's enlisted by Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that not everyone who is in church is a soldier of Jesus Christ. Not everyone who's in church has been enlisted to the army of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who are attending church, but they're not soldiers of Jesus Christ. The year was 1965. I was in a huge tent, and, um, and there were about 5,000 people in this tent, and I sat way at the back, and, um, and this guy got up to start preaching and, and he began to talk about the lost and the dying. And he, he reminded us of the number of people that had never heard of Jesus throughout the world. In our time, in our generation, right now, you need to know that a third of the world have never heard the name Jesus. And, and that it is that there's masses of people that have never heard the name Jesus. And he began to tell us this, that there are people who are lost and going to hell. And then he began to tell us about missionaries who, who were going into the darkest places of the earth to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he told us of martyrs, missionaries that were being cut to bits in, in African jungles and, and in places around the world. They were being hung and, and torn apart in our day and our age. And, and he said, this is going on because they believe they're a part of the army of Jesus and they're going out to fight for Jesus, to bring others to Jesus. And then he took a glove like this, motorcycle glove. And he said, you know, in olden days, they used to wear a glove like this. They called it the gauntlet. And it was in, in days of old, uh, the knights and the, um, the fighters, the warring men of days gone by, if they met someone and now they were going to challenge this someone to a fight, they would take off their gauntlet and they would throw it to the ground and say, I challenge you to a fight to the death. 
And, and now that guy, he had a decision to make. He either, he either had to pick that up and say, I accept the challenge, or he left it on the ground and left the battle scene. And now he would be known as a coward. He would be known as someone who refused to fight. He would be known as someone who was defeated. He didn't pick up the gauntlet. Well, this preacher, he said, he said, as he looked out at that crowd, he said, listen, listen, around the world, people are dying in their sin and going to hell. People are lost forever. They're going to hell without Jesus Christ. How can you sit in your comfort when people are going to hell? How can you just carry on your life when people are going to hell? And he got this and he threw it down and he said I challenge you to pick it up and say I enlist for the army of Jesus Christ I want to tell you it was like someone pressed an ejection button on my seat I was up out of my seat I ran down to that front and I grabbed that thing and I said I enlist I enlist. There was hundreds others of me, of us as well. And we enlisted and we said, we enlist in the army of Jesus Christ. I was 15 years of age. When I'd been a pastor for 30 years, I think it was uh, Chris Spicer that got in touch with the family of that pastor that preached that night. And cut a long story short, on the anniversary of my 30th year of being a pastor, he gave me the very glove that I picked up as a 15-year-old when I enlisted. I want to challenge you with that. We can't sit in comfort while people are lost. We can't just have friends amongst the saved and the holy we can't just be concerned about what's going on in here and these people and that's people. No, no, no. There are people that are lost. You see, not only do soldiers of Jesus Christ know that they've been enlisted, they also know, they also know where the battlefield is. They've heard the command to go into the battlefield. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, friends, this church building is not the battlefield. You are not sitting in the battlefield right now. No, 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 you need to understand that the battlefield is outside these walls, is outside these doors. The battlefield is not the church. We have made churches and we've made full-time people. We call pastors the only ones that we see fight in the battle and we just come along for a good time on a Sunday morning and, and sit together in the church and, and we think we're in the battlefield. This is not the battlefield. The battlefield is the street that you live in. The battlefield is the place that you work in. The battlefield is the community that we live in. The battlefield is the world. The world is the battlefield. I challenge you as you leave the building this morning, if you haven't done so already, to read what's over the door as you go out through the building. I'm not going to tell you what it is so you read it, but I want you to read what it says as you go out through the door. But the fact is this, the battlefield is not the church, it is not the building, it's out there. 
You know, last week, I, um, I, I was getting all excited about this soldier stuff, and I, I watched, I watched um, the film Patton. It's the story of General Patton. Uh, it's quite a film. I, I, I don't know whether I'd encourage you to watch it or not, but I watched it. And, and there was this scene. After one bloody battle where blood, uh, it, it, it was just a terrible battle that goes on. And, 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 and after the day after, you see Patton, General Patton, he comes into the field hospital, the tent that was made and was a hospital. And he walks through and he comes to a man that it's evident he's lost his leg in the battle. And he, he goes and he, he strokes his head and he whispers to him uh, what I can only believe was encouraging words. And then he went on to the next bed. And in the next bed was a guy that had lost his arm. Uh, and, and again, he strokes his head. And with this guy, he bends over and he kisses him on the forehead. Uh, and he goes to the next bed. And it's evident that in this bed, there's a guy that's got an oxygen mask on. And, and it's evident that he's near to death. And, and Patton gets down on his knees and he prays for the man at the side of the bed and then he gets back up and before he leaves that field hospital he says you know this place this place is a sanctuary for heroes it's a sanctuary for heroes and immediately I felt the Spirit of God say that's what I want my church to be I want my church to be the place where people come in week after week having been out in the battle and they come into church and in church they are refreshed and they are bandaged up and they are healed and they are given encouragement so that they can go back out and face the enemy again next week. When you leave here you should feel more loved than you've ever felt. When you leave here, you should be healed up on the inside and ready to go again. You should be encouraged in your faith. You should be now at the place where you're saying, I can face another day. I can face another battle. That it is that I came all broken and, and now before I leave, I stand before the commander-in-chief Jesus and I say, I'm ready for another week. <laughs> the soldier of Jesus knows that he's enlisted, he knows where the battlefield is, and the soldier of Jesus has no doubt about who the enemy is. Listen to this verse. This verse is found in 1 John 3 and verse 8. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Jesus had no doubt about who the enemy was. It was the devil. <laughs> hey, listen, friends. The enemy is not people. The enemy is not people. People are not your enemy. If you want to know what people are outside of Jesus Christ, outside of this building, people who never darken the doors of a church building, if you want to know what they are, the people that live outside and far from Jesus, they are not the enemy. They are prisoners of war. They are held by the grip of Satan. They are being dragged by their nose to hell. They are people that are lost and going to hell. The fact is that they are not the enemy. The enemy is the one that holds them in his grip. 
people that are in this room that know Jesus as our Savior are our comrades in arms. We're on the same side. The resistance that we feel, the pressure that we feel, the pressure that we come under as we try to have relationships with one another and as we we, we find ourselves in the world and we come under pressure, we need to understand, friends, where that pressure is coming from. The pressure is not coming from people. It's coming from an enemy who hates us and is trying to take us away and take us out of the battle so that we will not be effective for Jesus Christ. Now listen, the Word of God is very clear about this. The enemy, the enemy of our souls wants us taken up with the affairs of this world. That's what Paul said uh, as he wrote to Timothy. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a, sh- a soldier. Have no mistake about it, friends. The enemy of your soul wants you taken up with the affairs of this life. He, he wants you so taken up that now, now it will be that the affairs of this life take you out of the battle and you're no longer concerned about the lost and the dying and you're no longer concerned about pushing back the darkness. And so it will be that he'll come and attack your marriage and he'll come and attack your kids and he'll attack your employment and he'll come and attack your relationships within the church And he'll do whatever he can to rob us of our joy, to rob us of our happiness in Jesus, to take away our first love of Jesus Christ. And he'll attack and attack in order to get us to now cool it in our effective warfare against his uh, uh, forces. And to stop us looking to set people free who are his captives. The devil loves us fighting each other, friends. And the Lord's told me very clearly, we've got to quit it. We've got to stop doing it. There's too much of a battle to be won outside these walls than for us to be taken up with fighting one another. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and not get tied up with the affairs of this life. We need to get our eyes back on the real battle. The real enemy is Satan. The real need is to release prisoners of war. Let me say that again. The real enemy is Satan and the real need is to release prisoners of war. Say it with me. The real enemy is Satan and the real need is to release prisoners of war in the name of Jesus Christ. On a side issue here, let me just say to everyone who sees this place as their spiritual home. You know, every week we have people that come in here that have been beat up by the devil. They come in dragging their kids with them. And they've had a terrible, terrible week. They put their kids into the kids' work, into the nursery, into the children's area. Then there's others that come in that need loving on and need welcoming and need caring. I do not believe that anyone at Riverside, anyone who sees this place as their spiritual home, I I, I don't believe that you should go a month without volunteering somewhere in the church on a Sunday morning. 
I believe you should find a place to volunteer. You see, I I hate the word volunteer. I would rather use the word servant. I would rather use the word minister. You see, how great is this, that we get this honor, if it's only one Sunday a month, to now take the children of someone who has been beat up by the devil all week, someone who has been messed up all week, and now I'm going to look after their children so they can get in the sanctuary where they will get bandaged up, where they will get healed up, where they will now be able to go go back out and face another day, and I've enabled that to happen because I've looked after their children in the nursery. Or how would it be if it was that someone comes in this place totally unloved, and you're a part of the welcoming team, the connect team there, and now you are welcoming them, and you are showing them love, you're throwing love upon them, and it's what they've needed because they've been so beat up by the world, and now you are serving Jesus by loving on them so that they can go out again and face another day and say, I can make it because Jesus is with me. You want to do that, you just let us know. We've got plenty for you to do. Now, let me talk straight to you. Are you ready for a little bit of straight talk? Yes. Is, anyone, is anyone saying, you've talked enough already, sit down? Uh, you know, <laughs> actually, I, I've, I've, I've got to say it so you can shoot me after if you want to. But listen. There are some people in this church that are AWOL, absent without leave. You've dropped out. You've gone AWOL, absent without leave. You don't serve anymore. You don't see that you're a part of the team anymore. You don't see that you're a part of what God is doing anymore. You're absent without leave. And you can't be happy like that. Attending a church where you once served, you'll be miserable. <laughs> Attending a church where now you just fill in a pew where once you served, you'll be miserable. It, it'll rob you of your joy. You won't feel happy. You won't feel right. You will feel all the time that the commander-in-chief isn't happy with you. And not only that, what will begin to happen is you'll get negative and you'll begin to affect other people around you. And you begin to say, you know, I used to serve hour and hour and hour and I don't serve anymore. I backed off and you ought to back off. And and now you're spreading your negative, terrible talk. And, and, And it is that now you begin to throw others off. And not only that, what you do is now you throw the pressure on the few that are dedicated to serve that they they now have got to do twice the work because you've backed off. Listen, friends, you need to see that you're absent without leave and your great commander-in-chief is saying, it's time for you to get re-engaged. Well, that went down like a lead balloon, but nevertheless. Now... (laughs) Whenever I hear that, I feel like saying, I'm trying, you know, but I have to say this. I do realize this, that in the past, we've been so taken up with the battle that when people have got hurt and wounded in the church, we may have shot our wounded instead of properly caring for them. And I want to apologize for that. I take full responsibility for that. And I ask you to allow me, if that's you, you say, I got, I got really messed up and I got, I got shot by my own. I was treated badly by the church. And I want to talk to you because I need you back in the battle.
I can't, leave, I can't let you just drift further and further back and then out through the doors. I need to talk to you. I need to communicate with you. And I need to show you that you are fully needed and that you can be healed up and that you can find your place again, fully engaged and back in position for the next stage of the battle to drive back the darkness in this city. To see Jesus glorified. All right, I've got to go on. Not only is now we understand who the enemy is, but also the soldier of Jesus will follow the orders of the commander-in-chief. Implies rank in military terms. There's always someone higher than you. And it's same in the true in the, in the Lord's army. Every child of God is under rank. They are under authority. They're under the authority of Jesus Christ, the great commander-in-chief. If you've given your heart and life to Jesus, let me tell you something about you that you may not know, but you need to know. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you've been brought at, bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to the commander-in-chief. You belong to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that, that in the church there are different functions. There are different positions that are in the church. Uh, and, and it is that there's positions that need filling and respecting. Elders, for instance, are seen as the overseers and leaders of the church together with the senior pastor and his pastors. To be an elder of the church in Bible times is seen as a function that needs to be respected and filled carefully here. Now, at the connecting point this morning, I put a sheet um, that's there that will explain what an elder is and also how we appoint elders because we are in need of a new elder. And if you want to know what an elder is at Riverside, you want to know how do they put elders in, I want you to get this sheet and then you will see from this you are free to put forward the names of people that you feel could be an elder because we are actually ready to fill an elder position here at Riverside. Eric Johnson, you know, um, I, I announced this in the first service. Eric Johnson, who has served this church as an elder for eight years. I wanted to recognize him, and, um, and, and I couldn't see him where he usually sits. And I looked over there, and his wife was there, and she said, Eric is serving in the children's ministry. See. <laughs> Well, Eric has decided after eight years of being an elder, he's stepping down from eldership. He's not leaving the church. He's not going nowhere, but he's going to serve somewhere else uh, in the church. But we need to fill his position. But I, he's not here right now, but I, I, I still feel that man and his wife need a great hand, a great hand. Now, if you get nothing else that I've said, I want you to get this. Um, I'm, I'm running out of time, but you've got to get this. Listen. If we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we refuse to follow his orders, we are committing treason. Now, how many people are here and you were in the military? 
You're in the military. One or two. Thank God. Thank you. God bless you for serving. They know that to not follow orders is to commit treason. And it's a very serious offense. Well, the closer I'm getting to death, the more I realize that we underestimate God and we make God what he's not and we make him this great grandfather in the sky. That's not what God is. He is the ruler of the universe. And Jesus is his commander-in-chief. You know, the closer I get to the time when I will leave this world, I realize that we all will have to stand before Jesus. And we will understand that when he commanded us to go and make disciples, that was a serious command. When he says, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. I want you to go and set the captives free. I want you to bring people to me. When he said that, that was a serious command. And for any of us, any of us who claim that we are his followers and that he is our commander-in-chief, for us to stand before him on that day and have no one with us that we have discipled and led to Jesus is going to be a big deal, friends. That is going to be a big deal. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We refuse to live as the Lord desires and if we refuse to carry out the commands of Jesus Christ, we have crossed over the line from being a follower to now being someone who is a traitor. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Listen, friends, we've got to obey our commander. We've got to obey him. And we've got to see that we come together like this in order to go back out and now set the captives free. We're seeking for people, whether it's in work, whether it's in our street, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our community. We're looking all the time to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we need to tell people they need Jesus and we need to win people to Jesus Christ. Now, I need to finish. And uh, for those who are putting the slides up, I'm leaving out the last one. The good soldier of Jesus is a finisher. That speaks for itself. We don't quit. We keep going. You know, I was confronted by God's word this week with a fresh challenge to keep going as a soldier for Jesus Christ. You know, I was pastoring for 14 years in the UK in the same church. I, I pastored that church for 14 years when suddenly out of the blue, my orders were changed. These were the fresh orders that I received. This, this is what I received. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, that was, that was new orders to me. That came to me like a bolt in the, in the night as I read the Scriptures. I realized that God was moving me, and the end result was that I landed in Peoria, Illinois. Now, 
That's now over 20 years ago. And I was reading scripture again this week and I come to Genesis chapter 17. And this is what it says. When Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but you shall now be called Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I felt the Lord saying, your fruit-making days are not over. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Listen, friends, we have too much to do to argue amongst ourselves. <laughs> we have too much to do. There's too many to reach. There are thousands that are lost. There are people that are on their way to hell, and we have got no time. We can't waste time, and God's promising us, I will make you exceedingly fruitful if you obey my command. And if you go and do what I want you to do. You know, Moses at one time was up a mountain. And while he was up this mountain talking with God, the people went haywire. Oh, I mean, they started sinning like sin was going out of date. And, 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 and they, Moses came down the mountain and, and, and he stood in front of the people. And, and, and all he could do was, was look at them. And this is what he says. Who is on the Lord's side. Who is on the Lord's side? And friends, the cry that's going out from God to the church today is this. Who is on the Lord's side? And there were those that were around Moses that never heard the call. They never took heed to the call. They never listened to the call. But there was this group of Levites that says, we are on the Lord's side. Now, as we close today with communion, we're going to go back into worship. The worship team are going to sing. We're going to open up these communion tables, and we're going to put the table, uh, the, the bread and the cup out, and we're going to remember our commander-in-chief. Now, listen, it's not for me to say that you can or you can't take communion. But this morning, I'm talking to people who know that they have been enlisted in the army of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? And this morning, this morning as you take communion, listen, listen, don't take communion. I, I plead with you, don't take communion unless you mean it. I'm on the Lord's side. Oh, you can be religious. You can take a piece of wafer and you can take the cup. And, and you can say, well, it's the religious thing to do. I don't want you to do a religious thing. I want you to do a real thing. I want you to say, I'm on the Lord's side. Wherever you lead me, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'm in your army. And when I leave this building, I'm going back out into the army. I'm going back out to the battlefield. Great commander-in-chief, I'm ready for another week. I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to seek the lost and the dying and bring them back into your kingdom. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm on the Lord's side.
So as you take communion, just say to Jesus, I'm ready for another week. I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to seek the lost and the dying and bring them back home to you. So here's what I want you to do, friends. Leave your seat. Come and get communion. And, and uh, whether you kneel at the front or go back to your seat, that's all right. But you're saying, I am on the Lord's side. If you can't say it, if you can't say it, don't take communion. But if you can, and you say, I'm on the Lord's side, and I'm ready to go back out into the battlefield, come and take communion and remember your great commander-in-chief, Jesus, who died and rose again and is alive forevermore. You're going to sing this this morning.